Thank you. You may be seated. Well, hello again. Good morning. See, it's ruined. See, I normally start my sermons by saying, well, good morning, but now, like, this is the third time I've been here, so I can't say good morning, so I need to find something else to say. Change is never good. That's a lie. So, we're in the middle of our sermon series in the book of Daniel. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there to uh, the scripture that was read for us earlier, Daniel chapter 10. This week, what we're going to be looking at is how we can stand in faith. Uh, Last couple of weeks, we've looked at things like standing out for God, standing up for what's right, uh, and standing for what matters. Today, we're going to be looking at stand in faith. And while you're turning there, uh, this was a five-week series, and so next week is our last week in the book of Daniel. I know you're all very sad. Be sad. Aww, where are Uh, but in two weeks' time, we're going to be starting a brand new series through the book of Esther. Um, Esther is perhaps a very challenging book to preach through. Uh, I'm not sure if you uh, have noticed or not, but uh, God actually doesn't appear in the book of Esther. He's not mentioned. He's not there in any way, shape, or form. Uh, And so a lot of commentaries, when you're reading them, will say, never preach through this book because it's very difficult uh, in a church setting. Uh, And I took that as a challenge because I am a crazy person. Uh, And so starting in two weeks, we're going to be preaching through the book of Esther. Uh, It's going to be a verse-by-verse exegetical through the entire book. Uh, It'll last about 12 weeks. You do not want to miss it. It is going to be a lot of fun for me and maybe a little bit of fun for you. So, uh, if you've got your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 10, we're going to be starting in verse 5, uh, but we're going to finish Daniel and finish Daniel well before we move on. So, this is what uh, God's Word says. I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with his belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Uh, I'm going to keep reading, but doesn't this sound really cool? Okay. So I'm, I'm often fond of saying that my reaction if an angel of the Lord appeared behind me would be to completely freak out. And some of you don't know where I'm getting that particular reaction from. Well, why is he going to freak out? It's just an angel. This is one of the descriptions that makes me want to freak out if you ever see an actual real-life angel standing behind you. His uh, his face was like beryl. Beryl is a precious stone. uh, And in, in his face, like the appearance of lightning. So not only was it gorgeous to look at, but it was also had the appearance of lightning. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm assuming like flashes of lightning coming out of the eyes. Like, are you with me? on this description of this guy. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs uh, legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. Now, uh, I come from Australia, and a lot of Australians have the gleam of burnished bronze on their body uh, from all the time we spend out in the sun. 
Now, you might look at me and you say, well, what happened to you? Uh, I'm a nerd, so I spent all my time indoors at my computer. I never actually went outdoors. I don't like it. That's why I now live in Washington. There's cloud cover, and I don't have to see the sun ever. It's fantastic for me. However, so you've got this, uh, the burnished bronze that this guy is talking about is not the tan bronzeness, but literally the precious metal of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words, like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves." So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. So, a little bit of background. Here's what's happening. Daniel is doing his Daniel stuff. We've established over the last couple of weeks, he was a really high-up, important guy in the Babylonian and then Persian empires. He was Uh, the number one under whoever the king was. He was a smart guy. He was a good-looking guy. He had everything that was going for him. And despite all of the attacks that came from outside sources, he was able to stand firm in his faith and still be this great guy. This is the guy that we're talking about, right? This is Daniel. And then Daniel uh, sees this vision. And it says that the guys who were around me didn't see it, but they felt that something in the air had changed. And when they felt that, they scampered, right? So Daniel sees this vision. This angel of the Lord appears to him, and it says that the strength leaves his body. He's not able to stand anymore. He's able to, uh, he falls onto his knees trembling. Uh, But what's really interesting for me in this particular scripture is that I believe sometimes God has something just for you, not for the person sitting next to you. Now, in a church context, this can be a little awkward. Uh, like maybe you felt it, uh, maybe you haven't, but those times when uh, you're in church and you're, you know, you're in praise and worship, person next to you has their hands raised, they've got the goosebumps going up their arms, they're just swaying, and you're sitting there like, the guitarist is off key. Like, like what are you doing? And the person's there and they're like, what? this is the best I've ever heard. It's one. I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying we've had these experiences and you're sitting there thinking this person has lost their mind. Like, uh, have you had these experiences? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're holier than me. Uh, but sometimes I get taken out of the worship experience because of my own humanness and my own sinful nature and I focus on the things that are going wrong rather than the things that are going right and I sever that connection to God that I have myself but the person next to me doesn't. And sometimes you get a little bit jealous because they're experiencing something that you're not. And at the end of the day, I don't think jealousy is the right response because I truly believe that sometimes God has something just for you, something that's intended just for you. I don't know what it happens to be, but Daniel is having this incredible vision. He sees an angel of the Lord appear, face shining, lightning going on, flames coming out of his eyes, bronze-like skin, uh, really incredible appearance, and the angel appears only to him. No one else can see it. And while he has the strength leave his body, I wonder if also he isn't just a little bit excited and happy that God is about to speak directly through him, right? Directly to him. That maybe God has pulled him aside and has decided to speak directly to him. Sometimes God has something just for you. Now, 
little bit of full disclosure about this particular passage. Uh, in Scripture, there's something called the theophany. Now, uh, phony simply means appearance. Theo means God. A theophany, an appearance of God. Are you with me so far? Right. In the Old Testament, there is something additional called uh, Christophany, where they believe that it is actually the form of Christ before his incarnation that appears. Are you with me still? Okay, so this gets a little weird, I know. But essentially what they believe uh, and what Christian scholars believe about this passage is this is not actually an angel, but because his description matches the description that is given in the book of Revelation, that in fact this is Christ appearing to Daniel pre-incarnation. So not only would you get jelly in the knees from an angel appearing next to you, how would you feel if Jesus appeared next to you? Well, it depends on what you're doing, right? Like if I'm, I'm there playing a violent video game and Jesus appears next to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel a little embarrassed, right? If I'm in the food line giving, giving food to homeless people and Jesus appears next to me, I'm going to feel a little bit better about myself, right? Like, hey, nice of you to show up. It's like a visit from DHQ. They never come when you're doing something important. They always come after the important stuff is done. Are you with me? Right. People who know DHQ, you know that's what they do. They always show up in the midst of when everything's going wrong. Not unlike sometimes our perception of God. Now, now you've got to figure that. You've you actually got to get that distinction. I believe that God shows up when everything's going right, and I believe God shows up when everything's going wrong, but sometimes our mind doesn't perceive God showing up when everything's going right because we think we're so awesome that everything going right must be our responsibility. It's all on us. We did it. Everything's going right because I'm so star-spangled awesome. Look at me. And so we don't acknowledge the fact that God showed up in those circumstances, but when everything's falling apart, it's really easy to put the blame on God. God, where were you when this happened? Where were you when I was kicked out of my house? Where were you when my loved one got cancer? Where were you when my grandmother was in the hospital? Where were you? And I honestly think the answer is the same for every single question. Uh, God answers, I'm, I'm right where you put me. Because sometimes we like to put God in the little box, shove him into the corner, and we open the box when we need him, when we need the miracle. And see, God respects our free will as humans. He doesn't intrude. He doesn't push himself on us. He doesn't force himself on us. But if we take God and we turn our backs on God, he's right where we put him. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to bring down the glory and majesty of God. I believe that is preeminent above all things. But I believe that his respect and love for us as humans is so great that he allows us to shove him away when we're feeling sinful and arrogant. But Daniel has the right reaction. He falls on his knees. Chapter 10, verse 8. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. What you need to know is the strongest of men can't bear the weight of the glory of God. Sometimes we like to pretend that if God actually showed up in the full, faith, uh, full weight of his glory, that we would be able to stand there and actually like talk to God one-on-one. -on -one. 
God is completely different than you and me. God is completely otherly. He is completely different than even our expectation of what he looks like. Right? I, you need to know this for this particular story, but you need to know this in general, um, that God is completely different than our expectations. Like, uh, okay, so when you, when you think of God the Father, what's the mental picture that comes into your brain? Most people, if they've had some experience uh, with art, will say he's an old guy with a beard, right? He sits on a throne, he has a big, white, fluffy beard, he looks like Father Christmas, uh, and that's, like, that's, that's God, right? Because if you look at some of the Renaissance art, you see things like the creation of Adam, and you see God portrayed as this white guy with a beard reaching out his finger to touch Adam's finger, right? That's not what God looks like. Scripture tells us that no one knows what God looks like. Scripture tells us that no one has seen the face of God and has been able to explain it or been able to survive the glory of the, the weight of God. If you don't believe me, you can turn to the book of Exodus. Moses uh, is getting himself a little bit puffed up and he says to God, I want to see your face. I want to see your face. I want to talk to you face to face. And God says to Moses that if you saw my face, you would die. You would drop down dead because you cannot understand or comprehend the weight of my glory. Just like this, that the strongest of men cannot bear the weight of the glory of God. And so what God actually says to him, you know what? I'm going to pass in front of you and all I'm going to let you see is my hindquarters. Interesting uh, little bit of tidbit about the Hebrew. Uh, Hindquarters there literally means but. God says to Moses, the only part of me that you can be able to see and live to tell the tale is my butt. Yeah, we don't teach this in Sunday school. You would have, you'd have the kids running around wiggling their butt and be like, I'm just like God. I know my niece would do that. Right? So I don't think that we as Christians, especially in this day and age, fully understand or comprehend the weight of the glory of God. That if God was to come with his full glory undiminished, it would annihilate us. And Daniel here being exposed, not even to the full weight of the glory of God, falls down and essentially passes out. He doesn't sleep anymore. I mean, he's not awake anymore. He goes to sleep. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me, and I set my, uh, and it set me trembling on my hands and my knees. So he's fallen, fallen down. He's passed out. He feels a hand touch him, and he literally gets down on his hands and knees trembling. I'm imagining putting his hands over his ears and shaking because of the fear of what's going on. This is a man who has the right reaction when God shows up. Too often when God shows up in our circumstances, we play the role of the accuser and go to God, God, why did you do this? God, why haven't you done this? Why are you allowing this? Where are you? What are we doing? But the reality is if God was to show up with the full weight of his glory and you were to go into his presence as a human, all you would be able to do is fall on your knees trembling. And you should because he's God. He's God and we're not. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Okay, stop for one second. Not in my notes. I want to touch on this. Sometimes this happens if you're new here. Uh, I've got notes, uh, and sometimes I read the passage, and there's something that didn't jump out at me before. I inject it into the sermon. I have a, we go down rabbit trails. Deal with it. O Daniel, 
man greatly loved. How much money would you pay to have Jesus Christ appear to you and say, oh, whatever your name is, you are greatly loved? How much would you pay, what would you give to have the physical presence of Christ come next to you and say, I love you a lot. I love you greatly. Do you want to know the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? You don't have to pay a thing. Christ has already paid it on the cross of Calvary. Jesus' death allowed us to go into the presence of God whenever and wherever we want. book of Romans says that God demonstrates his own love for this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can think of no greater expression of love than dying for someone else. We've had this discussion before. There are a few people in this life that I would actually die for. My wife is one, my niece is the second, and my nephew is the third. Although, the last time he came over, he was in that stage. He's on the edge. I'm just saying. Like, I love him. He's a little bit on the edge right now. He'll grow out of it. I love him. You don't have to pay anything to have the savior of the universe and the creator of the universe to stand right next to you and say, I love you. You want to know what makes Christianity different than any other world religion? No other world religion, no other deity comes up to you and says, I love you, you don't have to do anything. Every other world religion says, you have to do something in order to be loved. God says, I love you, so then do something. Do you get that difference? See, see, in every other world religion, you have to do something to achieve salvation. In Islam, you have to pray a certain amount of times a day. You have to fast a certain amount. You have to go on religious journeys. You have to give alms to the poor. You have to do something in order to earn your salvation. In Judaism, which was the beginning of Christianity, even in Judaism, you have to sacrifice uh, at the temple and do certain things in order to get into God's good graces. Uh, if throughout all of Hinduism, there are sacrifices that you have to achieve and you have to do in order to be saved or to go on to the next life. In Christianity, you don't have to do nothing because God's already done it for you. Every other world religion says do, God says done. Every other religion says do something in order to be saved. God says, I'm going to save you, so do something. Once you're saved, it's not a static thing. Your salvation came at a heavy price. Actually use it for something. Use your salvation so that others may be saved. Use your salvation so others may know the love and grace and acceptance that you've known because God stood next to you and said, I love you. That's my rabbit trail. That wasn't in my notes. Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Uh, when God tells you to do something, do it. Uh, I'm not sure if... I really need a, a larger explanation than this. But if God shows up in your life and tells you to do something, do it, right? Says to Daniel, stand up. And Daniel stands up. Still trembling. He's still trembling. He's still fearful. After reading these particular verses, this is uh, the first point. If you're an A-type personality, you can write this down. But this is what I need you to understand. God cares more about you than you do. God cares more about you than you care about yourself. Now, I am not a sunshines, rainbows, and lollipops type of preacher. I am a more of a demented kind of preacher. That's, that's kind of 
how I roll. That's what I do. It's not very often that I spend a lot of time focusing on love because it's a hippie thing, right? Let's be honest. Hippies ruined it for me. But what you need to know about God is that he cares more about you than you do. He cares more about your soul than you do. He cares more about your life than you do. Now, that doesn't mean that if you become a Christian, your life is going to be 100% perfect, 100% right, and the sun is going to shine forever on your life, and you're never going to uh, suffer any worries or, or, or disappointments or any hardships whatsoever. It's not what it means. What it means is that in those worries, in those hardships, when the train goes off the tracks, God is going to be there with you. God cares more about you than you do. Verse 12. See, we're clipping along. It's fine. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. God hears the prayers of his people. That's why we pray. That's why we spend time in corporate prayer praying with one another, praying for one another, discussing our needs, our burdens, our successes, our praises. God cares about his people and he hears his people's prayers. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now we're going to get into a little bit of um, weird stuff. Okay, You warned. If you don't like weird stuff, this is not the sermon for you. What they're talking about right here is spiritual warfare. The book of Ephesians says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the rulers of the current age, against the rulers in the wicked places in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual battle that has been going on since the beginning of time between the forces of Satan and the forces of God. This spiritual battle often plays out in the lives of saints. Now, please do not hear me say that you're so important that Satan's attacking you directly. That's not what I'm saying. Um, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent, so he's not everywhere all the time. And he's not omnipotent, which means he's not all-powerful. He does not possess the attributes that God does, right? Satan uh, was an angel. His name was Lucifer, which means shining or bright one. Uh, Lucifer disobeyed God and fell from heaven to earth. Okay? Uh, for those of you who maybe don't have an experience in church or maybe uh, Hollywood has informed your opinion, uh, opinion on Satan, uh, Satan is not an ugly creature. He doesn't have horns. He doesn't have a pitchfork. He most definitely does not have a tail. Scripture describes Satan as an angel of light, one of great beauty. He is described almost like Jesus is described here of being of beautiful appearance, saying that he uh, wears uh, diamonds and other uh, uh, precious stones as his garments, because that is how beautiful he is, right? He is so beautiful that these things can't detract from his beauty. This is what Satan is like. He is not some uh, dark, decrepit, slimy thing. He is an angel of light. However, in that, he still has the limitations that he is an angel. He is, can't be everywhere all the time, and he doesn't know everything. And so what you have uh, a lot of the times is Christians 
prescribing Satan more power than he actually has. Satan's power is extremely limited, and I can prove it if you look to Scripture, which is our foundation for everything that relates to our faith. Uh, If you actually read some of the things that Satan does, his power is extremely limited. If you were to read the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, when Satan shows up, does he force-feed Eve the apple? Does he put her in a, in a room and just say, here, if there's only, only an apple, if you don't starve to death, um, then you need to eat the apple? When Satan shows up, what does he do? He talks. He lies. He talks. Satan's power in his, is in his ability to turn a phrase and to mix truths with half-truths, to, to whisper things in your ear. In the book of Luke, when Satan shows up to Jesus being tempted in the desert, does Satan force Jesus to eat the bread, to turn the stones into bread and eat it? Does, does Satan, what does Satan do? He shows up, he talks in Jesus' ear. He quotes scripture. He says, it's surely it is written that if you throw yourself from the top of the temple, that it's written that the angels will lift you up lest you foot, uh, cast your foot against a stone. Satan quotes scripture, but he lies. He mixes Scripture. He twists it out of context. Look through Scripture. You will find no demonstration of power from Satan other than his words and the power, and this is very important, that God gives him. That's very important. In the book of Job, at the the opening of Job, uh, Satan goes to God and says, consider your servant Job. He talks to God. He doesn't go in up demanding stuff. He doesn't go and force the issue. He goes up to God. I imagine him a little like, you know, um, snidely whiplash, if you will, up to God. Hey, God, consider your servant Job. He only does what you ask him to do because you've blessed him. You take away those blessings, he won't worship you anymore. And then Scripture says that God gave power to Satan to test Job within an inch of his life, but to not harm his life. So where did Satan get his power? God allowed him to do it. Sometimes God will allow evil things to test you because they are in the world and of the world. However, it doesn't mean that those things have more power than the Most High God. I know that seems like a little bit of a distinction, I find the world revolves around distinctions. And so here in this story, you have the the spiritual forces preventing this uh, Christophany from appearing to Daniel. And you have Michael, one of the princes of heaven, who comes to make war against the spiritual evilness and who allows this message from God to get through. And it says that he'd been praying for 21 days. How many of you have prayed a lot longer for that than that? On a daily basis that you've prayed to God to fix something that's wrong. Sometimes God's answer takes a long time to manifest. Sometimes it takes an awful long time to manifest. But in that time period, God is using it to build your faith in Him. 21 days. 21 days he's praying that God is going to do something, and then after 21 days, God finally shows up. Second point. 
God is doing more than you understand. I, I think this is a big one. That God is doing more than we could possibly understand. Not just in our own personal lives, not just in our families' lives, but in the world at large. I think God is doing more than we understand. God loves us so much that he allows our free will to do all sorts of wicked things. Because he doesn't want to force us to love him. But I believe that God is doing more than we can understand. Verse 13 says this, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. When Daniel started praying 21 days ago, it looked like God wasn't doing anything, but God was doing more than he could possibly understand. 21 days, he didn't know what God was doing. Every day he prayed, God, are you doing something? God, are you with me? God, are you there? God, 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 why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? Why aren't you answering me? But in that 21 days, God was doing more than Daniel could possibly understand. God was overcoming the spiritual resistance that was stopping uh, these spiritual forces from getting through to Daniel. God is doing more than we can possibly understand. Verse 17. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Daniel is saying that he's so exhausted from these 21 days, he's so exhausted from the fear that he's encountered at this angelic uh, appearance, he is so utterly spent that he doesn't even have the strength for a conversation. Have you had those days? Uh, You get home from work and all you can do is like sit down on the couch and you just go... Like, we know each other fairly well. You know I love video games. You know that's how I relax. There are days I will walk in, I'll sit down on the couch, I'll look over at my controller and say, nope. And I'll just sit there. You know these days? I'm not, it's not, if it's just me, it's fine. I can be the freak. But maybe you know what these days of being exhausted is like after those, those 12, 14, 16-hour days when you have to deal with people coming in you know, all the time, talking, 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 arguing, pushing back, and you just have no more strength or energy, and you walk into your couch and you just sit down and you're just like, I'm done. This is, this is what Daniel's going through. 21 days of constant prayer to God, nothing getting through, uh, spiritual forces oppressing the area. He is a prisoner. For, for all his high station, he has been kidnapped from his home. He is thousands of miles away from where he was born. He is thousands of miles away from the temple of God. He is thousands of miles away from his people. He is trapped in captivity. He is praying to God, and spiritual forces are stopping an answer from coming through. And 21 days, he is in this condition of utter and complete uh, just... Duh. And then an angel appears and he gets that jolt of adrenaline that we get when you need to go that just couple of extra steps. But then after the adrenaline leaves, you just, you just, you collapse. Like, let's be honest. And he's on the floor, he's trembling and he's like, I don't even have the strength for a conversation with you. And again, having the one having an appearance of a man touch me and strengthen me. Because what you need to know 
third point, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's the point. You don't have the strength to stand. Like a lot of people describe religion of, as a crutch, and I'm like, duh, that's how the Bible describes it. Like, you're not coming up with anything new. You're not saying anything that's offending me. That's what Scripture says. Scripture says that you and I don't have the power to stand and withstand Satan's attack on our own, so that we need to rely on the power of the presence of God in our lives. Guess what? Christianity is a total crutch. That's not an insult. That's the point. You try and do this. You try and live a Christian life. You read the Bible. You read the rules that God has written down. I dare you to try and live a single day following those commandments perfectly. You don't have the strength to do it. There is not a single person in this room or alive apart from Jesus Christ himself who hasn't in some way, shape or form violated the Ten Commandments. I can guarantee it. There is no one alive who isn't sinful and who doesn't have a bent towards sin. That's the point of Christianity, that you can't do it by yourself. You need Christ to do it for you. You can't save yourself. You need Christ to save you. Next time someone says, Christianity is a crutch, go, duh. Give me a second one. Let me, let me, go, let me go both arms. This is what the angel says. Verse 19, he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. He says, greatly loved again. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. God is the one that gives you strength. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. And look, until you understand your own weakness, you won't or can't appreciate God's strength. Until you realize that you're in that weakness, you can't appreciate God strengthening you in the times when he does. When you think that you can do this Christian walk 100% under your own power, you will never ever understand or appreciate the strength that comes from God. It's only when you hit the brick wall time after time after time, it's only when you've fallen down time after time after time that when you get up under the strength of God, you're like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Look, God cares more about you than, than you do. God is doing more than we can possibly understand. And God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. What you need to know about Daniel standing in faith, everything that Daniel did was accomplished through faith. Lion's den, no worries, that was faith. Praying and not being afraid of the, the consequences. That's faith. Being kidnapped thousands of miles away from home. The audacity to stand up and say, no, I'm still going to worship my one God. It's faith. Daniel going into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar the king and interpreting a dream that really says things are going to end badly for the king. It's faith. Everything that Daniel accomplished, he accomplished through faith and the strength that came from God. So as we end our time together today, I just have a simple question for you. Are you 
trying to rely on your own strength rather than on the strength of God. Jesus said when he left uh, that he was going to leave something greater, something better, a power that we can rely on, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He said that when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life. It's going to come into your heart and is going to empower you to do great things for the kingdom of God. Are you relying on your own strength rather than the strength of the Holy Spirit? Look, we are a, a, a holiness movement. Salvation Army believes heavily in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you what we believe is simply that nothing in this church can be accomplished without the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. That is what I believe. You can disagree with me. That's fine. We can argue about it later and I'll prove to you how I'm right. I got one laugh. It's what I'll do. One laugh, I'll take it. Are you relying on your strength rather than the strength of the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself that question as we end our time together today. Uh, I'd like to invite Heidi up to close, sing, uh, uh, lead us in our closing benediction, but I really want you to, to reflect on that as this week moves on. I'm going to close this in prayer, then Heidi's going to come up. Are you relying on your strength more than God's? Please don't, because you will fail. It's like your legs are broken, you need the crutch, and you're like putting the crutches off to the side and saying, no, I can walk. That's, I'm, that's stupid. Don't do that. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us to come into your house today and to worship you and to learn more about your nature and your character. Lord, we thank you that you are an almighty and powerful God and that you have revealed your glory to us through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you be with each one of us as we go from this place, that you help us understand that we need to rely on your power and your strength much more than our own, that in you we can accomplish great and wonderful things for the kingdom of God, that we can actually do this Christian walk. Lord, bless us as we, come, as we leave this place and bless us until we meet together again. We pray these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen.